Hi, I'm Alicia Abendroth, and this is Tridge Agri Insider, your agri food for thought podcast where we talk about anything and everything agri food supply chain. Brought to you by Tridge. In this heart wrenching episode of Agri Insider, we're joined by a special guest from Tel Aviv where the Israel-Hamas conflict persists. Gil Horsky is founding partner of Flora VC, an impact investment fund focused on the Israeli and European agri-food ecosystems. Gil provides firsthand insights into the emerging war and the resilience of the incredible Israeli agri-food tech community. Hi, Gil. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Thank you so much. Amazing. Uh, super excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, today I, I'm, 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 first of all, I'm so excited that you were able to make it onto Agri Insider. Uh, we had planned to speak all about kind of the VC network and um, generally the kind of ag tech community in Israel and kind of the projects you're working on. But I know, you know, with the current circumstance in Israel, you're calling in from Israel. Um, some of that will have shifted today. I think, you know, there's some pretty pressing and relevant topics that didn't exist in our world even two weeks ago that uh, we definitely also need to mention. So um, we'll kind of shift the podcast a little bit to also kind of the dynamics, the political dynamics at play. Um, of course, we'll also, we still, while you're here, a, a true legend in the agri space. We also need to pick your brain on, on kind of agriculture and ag tech communities, ecosystem building um, out of Israel. But it all goes hand in hand, right? They're not equally. Everything is tied these days, no, for sure. Amazing. So let's just start at the very kind of beginning. Um, let's, you know, if you could just introduce yourself, tell us a bit about what you do, your background. I think that's a great place to start. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I always like to say, you know, I, um, I'm obviously originally from Israel, uh, moved in, uh, uh, did the Israeli route. We all go to high school, military. We, we tend to travel around the world a bit, did my undergrad in Israel and actually worked a bit in consulting and then moved to the U S, uh, to do my, my MBA. Um, and when I graduated, um, I always like to say, you know, everybody that studied with me was, uh, I guess, more more talented and smarter than me. So everybody wanted to either go to work in McKinsey or Goldman Sachs uh, to be either a consultant or a banker. Um, nothing against these places. So if there's anybody working in them and listening to this podcast, uh, love both companies, but um, looked like very boring uh, career paths for me. And um, it was very keen to go to an industry that is still kind of having a very long value chain with general management that has an R&D manufacturing and distribution and marketing um, and at the same time was looking for something that is a big industry that didn't go through disruption yet that can have a real impact and decided uh, the food industry looked like an interesting place uh, so joined the food industry uh, started my career in Pepsi in the US uh, in Chicago I actually was also living already in the, in the city as, as a student and um, joined Pepsi in their healthier businesses and really learned bottoms up uh, in a bunch of commercial roles, kind of the industry and um, had a fantastic time, really learned what a big industry it is, what a big impact it can have. 
At that time, there was no food tech, there were no investors, uh, the concept of startups and the food industry, except brands, didn't exist at all. So this whole beautiful ecosystem that we all know so well today didn't exist. Um, did that for around five years and then had an amazing opportunity to move to Switzerland and uh, moved to Switzerland, joined Kraft Foods just when they bought Cadbury, was part of that acquisition. And after that, lived in Switzerland for six years, um, doing a global role uh, for Kraft. Atlanta Iron became on the lease and did a lot of roles around strategy, new market entry, innovation, M&A. Did a lot of work in emerging markets like China and India, but also, of course, in Europe. Uh, all out of Switzerland. It was a fantastic time. And while I was with it, living in Switzerland, the food industry started changing. And we started having the first incubators, first VCs, first food tech startups and investors. And at that point, I knew that's going to change the industry. I knew there's a huge opportunity here to disrupt the industry. And started on a personal basis, uh, mentoring, helping some early stage entrepreneurs. Was trying to push mine at least to move in that direction. They were not ready yet. Um, but in 2017, I, uh, I was keen to move back to Israel after many years abroad, moved back to Israel. And with the move to Israel, we had a leadership change and was able with a few colleagues to co-found the Mandalay Snack Futures team, which is the team, the company's corporate venture arm um, and also incubation arm that incubated new businesses. Did that for a few years, uh, was initially on the incubation side, building new businesses for the company in the health and wellness space, and then actually moved uh, to lead our uh, venture investments into agri-food tech companies out of Israel, but did that with a global scope. Loved every second of it. Um, and um, fast forward to the beginning of this year, uh, decided it's about time after uh, over 15 years, uh, even more probably, 16 years uh, in big corporate America and the food industry, I felt like I'm ready and it's the right time uh, to move and build my own fund and uh, moved forward to uh, co-found uh, Flora Ventures, which we will obviously elaborate more today. Amazing. Um, what an incredible career. I, I think I heard uh, Nestle, PepsiCo, Mandela's, I mean, these are massive multinationals and you've seen them from the inside, which is incredible. Um, I, I can only imagine that that really had an impact on kind of your uh, decision even now or what you focus on in uh, Flora VC. So looking back at that point when you founded Flora VC, what, what drove you? I mean, what were you seeing in the industry? And, and, and it's interesting because I think from your perspective, because it seems like you were monitoring the startup community, I mean, at its inception, you said, you know, agriculture didn't have startups. Uh, and then suddenly it, you know, it started to evolve and, and, and now you've started a fund, you know, working only with startups. So I guess, yeah, what drove you to start Flora VC? It's a great question. Um, I think, you know, so seeing this kind of wave, and I think the wave really of, of new agri-food tech companies and VC, this whole beautiful ecosystem that we, we know so well, I think really started evolving around 2016, 17. That was the beginning and probably around 2000, it became kind of a, a really a, a flourishing uh, ecosystem. Um, I, I always felt in the early years, I felt like it's very interesting, but I felt like still the ecosystem is still not um, advanced enough. So meaning there's not enough companies, uh, the technologies are still too early. And actually in the last year, um, working again in the Mondelez Snack Futures team and seeing that uh, ecosystem from that lens, I started feeling that I think we reached, you know, in every industry, and you see this in every technology, in any industry it looks like, if you look at the past in FinTech and Cyber, and I like to look at other industries as an analog to what happens in food and ag, is there's this tipping point 
where suddenly an investment ecosystem moves from being still a niche in something very, some of them never evolve, but, but a lot do. And they reach a tipping point that suddenly the technologies are reaching kind of the Moore law that they become kind of scalable and efficient in a, in a, in a competitive price point. Regulation is supportive. You start having the right talent base and the right entrepreneurs coming in. And I felt like food and ag finally reached that point in the last year. Now, I would add another angle. I'm a contrarian by, by I like to think quite differently um, than most of where most folks going. And to be honest, in the last few years, until a year ago, um, as somebody that grew up in the industry, I couldn't justify many times the valuations of the company. So uh, I love agri-food tech, but it's a tough industry. And uh, there's no quick wins. Uh, there's no shortcuts. You cannot build a company that would make $50 million revenue or ARR in three years. It just doesn't happen. Um, and the company needs to be built with the right building blocks and with the right valuation and the right fundraising. And the last few years, which were so hot and food tech became like the new shiny toy for everybody, um, actually, I think didn't help some of the companies. They were raising too much money and too much high valuations. And when the market collapsed in a way, I actually saw it as a fantastic time to, to come in. I thought the companies are going to go back to the basics. They're going to focus on revenue, on margin, and quickly reaching the market. Um, and also valuations would be much more competitive. So that was really the tipping point that I thought that um, is the right time to, to come in. And, uh, and it's interesting because obviously it's a harder time to fundraise. It's a fund we also need to fundraise. So it's a harder time. And a lot of people told me, listen, you're a lunatic. Who, who wants to start a fund now? This is the worst time ever. But I'm actually very confident um, that it's the right time to start now. And I'm seeing these systematic changes. I mean, I see the level of talent. Today, we see some of the best entrepreneurs. I'm based in Israel, and you said earlier, you know, we have these amazing tech talents that come from the best technological military units or civilian teams. In the past, they all wanted to go to cyber, to fintech. Now they call me on a weekly basis and say, hey, I want to build a company in agri-food tech. And I ask them why. And they said, listen, because I want to build a company that has an impact in a big industry that didn't go through disruption. Um, but a lot of times these folks have the right technological toolboxes, but they don't know the industry. They don't know which problems they're trying to solve. So that's where we try to help them. The same as with the technology. If we look at fermentation and cell-based and a lot of other technologies, I mean, a few years ago, they looked very far away from the market. Now they're slowly getting closer to market, both with the right regulatory framework and with the scale. Um, and then we're seeing some beautiful technologies and business models coming from other industries into food fintech models, SaaS, AI image recognition, generative and AI, a lot of these things are moving finally into food. And you know, there's this famous study from McKinsey a few years ago that talks about the, the five biggest industries and then it ranks them by size and then by level of digitization. And agri-food tech is ranked the lowest. Uh, so meaning it's the least digitized industry. There's a lot of potential here. So I think those have been some of the reasons um, that have really um, kind of pushed me to say this is the right time to do it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the front of the valuations. I think that really resonated with me. Um, you know, agriculture is traditionally, and, and I've had many speakers come on who've said, you know, it's such a tough industry, such tight margins, right? And now you've got the kind of VC, you know, startup innovation space trying to take something that's so fragile, so delicate, right? Um, on working on such tight margins and revolutionize it. And, you know, when you kind of think about it, it's almost like an impossible task and it takes 
someone with a lot of skill set and like you said background industry knowledge to actually i think invest properly in that in that industry or in the agricultural industry so it sounds like you've really kind of tapped a niche even with your fund um you know working truly on projects that i mean maybe it's i should ask you this i mean it's I, from my perception not a lot of vcs want to touch agriculture actually right so right. so yeah you know you're right so we we do both food and ag so we we invest across the value chain of food and agriculture and it's interesting you're raising an interesting point it's um you know investment is also a bit of a world of hype right certain things become one day super hot and the next day less uh which we can all kind of sometimes laugh about but i feel like ag tech was a bit earlier than food uh, there was a bit of ag tech investors. There were a bit of startups. Food became really hot in the last five years, a lot with mm-hmm. Melthor and the proteins and plant-based, et cetera. Um, and it was interesting because I felt that until a year ago, um, food was so hot that a lot of the folks that used to do ag tech were kind of almost disappointed and saying, oh, nobody cares about agriculture. Let's start doing more food. And I have some friends in the U.S. that are pure ag tech funds, fantastic funds that kind of started pivoting into food. But actually, the last 18 months, with a few big, actually, geopolitical events around us, I mean, if we think about it, COVID, the war in Ukraine, um, and actually the whole climate crisis, all of these events actually brought agriculture, I mean, the whole industry, but even more agriculture than food to the forefront. It suddenly became a topic that, you know, you buy, I'm actually yeah. looking here, I used to have somewhere a copy, oh, yeah, I didn't need that still have it here so that's good i'm looking for it yeah, i have this economist from a year ago uh called becoming food catastrophe um that was kind of it was written exactly i think when the ukraine war started um we would never be at the front of the economist this would never be the hottest topic that people would talk about in a cocktail party but suddenly everybody talks about agriculture um and i think that actually again in the kind of in the conversation about trends actually Agriculture, I feel at the moment, is becoming, again, a hot topic from an investment perspective, even more than food. Again, these things can change. Um, yeah. We at the fund do both. Our, um, our thesis is we invest in Israeli and European companies, um, and we want to help early stage companies. So we do pre-seed, seed, and A, and we want to help these companies scale abroad, mainly to the U.S. and Asia. We believe that the good companies out of Israel and Europe uh, that are um, need to scale globally to bigger markets. Um, and we specifically look at companies on the value chain of food and agriculture that are either touching the world of what we call planetary health. So it could be everything related to climate, but in the lens of agri-food. So it could be regenerative agriculture, could be sustainable packaging, could be green fertilizers and green ammonia, um, or using waste streams and circular economy, or the other, in addition to to planetary health, it could be human health. So if we think about it, food is the number one cause of deaths. I mean, that, you know, at the end of the day, food and diet, one way or another, impact almost everything around our, our, our health. Um, so we are very interested in the topic of food as medicine, uh, sugar reduction, personalized nutrition. So those would be kind of the two theses as we look at. And specifically, we can talk about it a bit more. We um, have a strong interest in agriculture. One, because Israel has a very, and we can talk about it as we kind of move forward, Israel has a big heritage in agriculture. Uh, but the second piece is, we have uh, as a fund, and we talked about this publicly when we announced our first closing a few months ago, one of our biggest LPs and investors are the Israeli kibbutzim, 
and they come from agriculture. And I think, you know, maybe I'll let you kind of ask me a few more questions, but I'm happy to elaborate for those that don't know what is a kibbutz, because that is actually a very strong link to, to agriculture. Yeah, and, and I think it also ties into your upbringing and kind of your heritage, right? And and uh, I, I mean, not to segue too much, but I am kind of curious, and I and I do usually ask this a little earlier on. You mentioned though, you you kind of grew up in agriculture, and you grew up in in in. I mean, you grew up in Israel, but maybe this ties into the um, kibbutzin kind of uh, question as well. But is there a heritage link there? Is that all connected? I mean. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, I um, I personally, I, I can't take credit. I don't have. I, I don't. I didn't grow up in a farm, unfortunately. Maybe I wish, but uh, um, so I don't. Uh, I don't have a you know family history personally in the agricultural side. I do have in the food side a bit. My my grandparents and my mother's side actually had uh, the first bakery in one of the large Israeli cities, but that was before my I was born. So that's a, the strongest historical connection I can find. But. Um, as you as you rightfully said, is growing up in Israel as a country. I mean, Israel is a tiny country, right? It's 10 million people, very small size-wise. I mean, tiny. Um, I believe you're sitting in Germany. I think it's like a tenth of the size of Bavaria. So it's a very oh, small country yeah. size-wise. Yeah. And smaller by, you know, than any, almost any, if not all the U.S. states. So it's a very small space. But actually, the interesting thing about Israel is, although the landscape and the size is so small, the landscape you have all different landscapes uh, in different topography from an agricultural perspective across a small space. So a third of the country is a desert, right? It's a famous Negev desert. So you have there a desert, then you have the sea. So there's a lot of agriculture around the sea. Then you have the Golan and the Galilee, the north, you have hills and mountains. And actually the kibbutz, which are basically these agricultural villages that started in Israel 100 years ago. They mainly uh, were established by Eastern European Jewish immigrants. It came, uh, they started coming before even World War II, before the Holocaust. Some of them obviously got established later. But the concept was they came from Eastern Europe and they were influenced by the ideas of sharing and community. A bit of, they took the positive elements of socialism and they <laughs> built these beautiful villages. Um, yeah, I'm trying not to get in trouble here politically. So um, <laughs> they created these small villages that are anywhere between 50 to 300 families. Um, and the concept was they work the land and everybody's equal. Everybody has the same size house. Everybody makes the same salary. It doesn't matter if they work in the kibbutz or outside. The money comes into the kibbutz and everybody gets the same salary. Kids are all living in a children's house and come on the weekends back home. Everybody eats together in a dining room. Now, these kibbutzim, there are 220 of them in Israel still today. They obviously went through a lot of change since then. That's when they started. Today, they're uh, more privatized. But... Um, they all or almost all of them were working in agriculture and they were through from the desert, from the Negev to the north. And actually, they had to learn how to do agriculture in the desert. So, for example, Israel is a world leader in desert agriculture because they've been doing it for 70 years. Um, actually, the concept of drip irrigation that is today, there's the global biggest company in the world. It's a company called Netafim, but there's um, are actually inventions that came from kibbutzim. It's one of the kibbutzim in Israel that invented there. So um, that really built a lot of skill sets in Israel. And those were, at that time, nobody called it ag tech and startups. But in a way, that is how they worked at the beginning. They would invent something. Sometimes they would commercialize, sometimes not. But definitely Israel has its um, its heritage in, in agriculture, um, and I think today we're going through a really interesting change that these kibbutzim 
um, understand that they want to be part of the new revolution, the ag tech revolution. That's where some of them came, almost almost all of them came um, and joined as investors in our fund. So out of the 220, I think we have close to 200. They came as one LP, but they came not only to put money in for the financial return, they actually came for the strategic return. They basically want to be the beta site for these early stage technologies we invest in. And for us, that's amazing because if I invest in an early stage company that is reinventing dairy farming to make it more sustainable and humane for cows, I suddenly have these 40 dairy farms I can call for due diligence, I can test the technology with. So it's a very, very unique model. I, I, I really appreciate you highlighting that because, I mean, it's kind of like the keyboard scene where we're like, hey, Gil, we've been innovating for, you know, 200 years. Absolutely. You know, we need to figure out how to piggyback on to the way the world sees innovation, right? How right. do we get behind the, the kind of um, global buzzwords and make it all palatable for the international sphere? And I think that's where you come in, right? You say, we get it. We're going to take your innovation and our culture and our heritage and we're going to make it um approachable for the whole world and and bring some of that global it sounds like also in with this kind of beta site testing and bringing startups in and kind of creating almost what sounds like this really unique innovation think tank am i am i kind of on, on no you're first of all you're describing it perfectly nice it's perfectly correct and, and very and very accurately the, the, the other thing which is really interesting and i learned it the hard way you know growing up in the large food industry um, and in the last few years working in Mandalis, which my role was all external, working with startups, investing in startups, what I learned, which was really interesting is, on the one hand, and I'm a really big believer in this, and that's also what we put into Flora, and we talked about this a few times, we probably can continue to talk about it in this conversation, the agri-food tech industry is amazing, but it's tough. And for a startup to succeed in this industry, one of the best ways to mitigate some of the risk um, is actually to find early on design partners, food companies or agriculture companies it can be your beta site that you can learn with, you can test with, they can tell you the market needs and can help you scale. Whatever that is, it could be an R&D, could be manufacturing, depends on, on which company you are on the map. But um, what I learned that the, the kind of the hard way or, you know, but I'm happy I learned it because it's very beneficial for me now is actually the large food companies or agriculture companies are super important partners for the startups. But on the other hand, they're probably not the best partners for early stage part startups who are looking for their first partner. Because when you come to work with a John Deere or Syngenta or Mondelez or Pepsi, it doesn't matter where in the value chain, these companies are big. Even if they want to be really innovative, they're quite slow. They have huge internal processes. I mean, you can just have legal fighting for six months on the NDA and procurement. And all kind of guidelines, quality, safety, etc., all very important. That can slow down a startup. And the other thing is they want such big scale that as a startup, you at the beginning make so many things go wrong. There are always things that go wrong. Um, you want to do all your mistakes and all these things that go wrong. You want to do them on a smaller partner, on a partner that is agile, that can accept them and thinks like you. And that's why over time I learned to advise startups if they can, when they look, when they're still very small and they look for that first design partner, actually choose somebody that is more medium sized or even small, that you kind of do all the mistakes there, kind of get the, get all the kinks in the system and kind of fix everything before you go to work with the big guys. And that's why we like so much that model with the kibbutzim, because in a way they can serve exactly to be these right. smaller guys. 
there you can test with them they move very quickly you could do the mistakes with them you can learn with them and only then after you proved it with the kibbutz you get the stamp of approval the kibbutz approved it works well israeli agricultural you know works then you can go abroad to the big players so that's part of the model we we we, we are kind of promoting yeah, it's it's brilliant. I think it's really one of a kind, and and you've definitely found a niche with um, Flora VC. Shifting a little bit toward Israel, so you know, me personally working also in, in the agri food ecosystem, I keep seeing some of the most genius startups coming out of Israel. I mean, especially in produce, you know, with the, you said the drip irrigation, but even more recently, there's been some interesting SaaS solutions and you know all different types of things. Um, you know, what do you think makes Israel so unique that it's generating such, yeah, I guess, creative ideas and innovation, and it's like this breeding ground for for, for great startups? Um, and I think there's a few things in the Israeli society that kind of make it quite, you know, a hotbed for innovation in general, and then we can talk about specifically in food, you know, in the agriculture kind of world. I mean, I think one is, you know, everybody goes to the military um, in a young age. So the military serves um, at age 18 is a very almost like an HR department. The one people like to say it's the biggest HR department in the world because it takes every child at age 18, boy or girl, and finds them the right world for their skill set. And a lot of people get a lot of skill sets, leadership authority uh, or technical capabilities that later on take into the civilian life. The second piece is um, in the agri-food tech uh, space specifically, Israel is very interdisciplinary, so meaning, and it's also very small. So, you know, there's a lot of theories around, you know, kind of innovation hubs. If you look at, you know, Silicon Valley, there's a reason why they're usually in condensed areas. So the same in Israel, we have that area of Tel Aviv, and there's a city outside of Tel Aviv called Rehovot. Not a very famous city, but it has the famous Weizmann Institute, which is like the MIT of Israel, has the Hebrew University um, Agriculture School. And that's where all the ag, ag, a lot of the food and agriculture companies are based. Um, so on the other hand, also, the universities are smaller and the professors are very entrepreneurial. A lot of the Israeli professors don't earn so well, so they actually think about how to build companies. Um, and they like to collaborate. So you actually, in Israel, which is really typical than in other places, you would see a professor from material science talking with a professor from AI, talking with a professor from biotech, and together they'll build a company. In the U.S., I was just visiting MIT a few weeks ago for, for work, and the campus is so big, the chance that these three professors would even bump into each other in the, you know, in the coffee place is almost impossible. So in Israel, you have this kind of interdisciplinary approach between the different skill sets in uh, academia that really, really help. That's one. The second piece that has been um, a big um, push to the Israeli agri-food tech ecosystem has been the Israeli government, um, which I'm not a big supporter of in general. Again, we won't go into politics today, but, but it's usually not very functional on most topics. Over the years, it's been very, very um, advanced compared to other countries in one topic in building ecosystems. So what the Israeli government does, it has a special department called the Chief Innovation Officer or Israeli Innovation Authority. They change the name every few years, but bottom line, what they do is they identify three or four sectors that they believe that in the next five to 10 years, Israel can become a leader, but they're still underdeveloped. And they start pumping money into those. They start building incubators, funding startups, 
and they fund that until that ecosystem is up and running by itself and then they move on to the next one so 10 15 years ago they did telecommunication cyber fintech 2015 16 they identified food and ag and a lot of israel was one of the first countries in the world to have some of those amazing agri food tech incubators we have in israel we have the kitchen hub we have trend lines we have fresh start um, so those were really part of building that ecosystem, kind of the governmental support. Today, I think they still do support, but I think we're soon reaching the point where we won't need that support. So I think that's been um, another point. And I think the last thing which we, we, we did briefly talk about is um, Israel is so strong in tech in general that today you're seeing more and more entrepreneurs and technologies shifting. And that's also part of our thesis in Flora, moving from industry A into industry B. And for me, industry B is, is agri-food. So agri-food tech, as we said earlier, is so undigitized, so behind on many things that actually, if you have an amazing set of entrepreneurs that build a big company in, uh, we just thought recently, we're looking at a company that did a really amazing job, the entrepreneurs in the fintech space. And now they want to take everything they did and do a new company that actually is completely redefining the world of commodity trading that I know you know very well, uh, but I won't tell you because it's a competitor of your company. You know, they, I don't know where they are. So, but anyway, just as an example. So that's really good examples of how people take know-how and skill set from A to B, and Israelis are very good in that. So those have been some of those uh, examples, I think, that kind of really made the ecosystem thriving here. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect recipe for success. I mean, the small space, the the hard harsh environment. I haven't been to Israel, but you said you know you're the experts in desert farming. I mean, Correct. making things grow in a sand is pretty impressive. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, mixed with um, the support from the government, mixed with you know this kind of rich cultural history of innovating and, and resiliency. I mean, it's it just sounds like the perfect kind of recipe for. Um, um, yeah, I guess success really. And I, I mean, this is might be a really good segue to what's going on currently in Israel. I think everyone, me included, is burning to know um, from someone firsthand what is happening. Sure. So you know, as, as you know, as we, we spoke about before, Israel is a small country, so the borders are very uh, narrow from different directions. Um, um, unfortunately, obviously, we, we, li we live in a tough neighborhood uh, that historically has had a lot of problems over the over the years. Um, but I think that, you know, and for somebody that's kind of grew up in Israel and uh, seen a lot of things in the past, I think this one is, is a different one. And um, in, in the sense that this uh, Saturday morning, we, we um, you know, we all we all woke up for um, to kind of, you know, to be very honest, to a horror trip. Uh, we have. Um, we have a lot of uh, villages and towns. By the way, most of them, the most that have been, um, the ones that you hear all these horror stories are kibbutzim or moshavim that are also agricultural villages. So some of them are even uh, involved with us in the fund. Uh, so we know some of them. Oh my gosh. And um, they are um, on the border with the Gaza Strip. Uh, and um, I think as I mentioned in the media, there was a surprise attack and basically, um, we're talking about thousands. I mean, this is not usually they're like individual thousands of um, Hamas terrorists basically, you know, shot rockets into Israel uh, and at the same time basically broke the parts of different parts of the of the fence um, and the walls that basically separate Gaza Strip to, to Israel. 
some of those villages you need to understand some of these kibbutzim and villages are in the, the, the closest ones the one in the line are some of them are like basically a mile or two away from right. the border so super there's not a lot of distance um those villages are prepared for extreme events and they all have their own volunteering um units people that live there that serve in the military and, and, and be, can be called but again there are small villages 50 to 300 families and some of them have been attacked with hundreds of terrorists um most of the families ran into every israeli house um has basically what we call like basically like a safety or security room that has stronger walls uh, most of the families were told to move there because of the rockets and everything um, these rooms are very hard to break into so the terrorists that couldn't most of them they couldn't break in so what they did they started burning the houses so the families had to leave because of the smoke otherwise they would die from the smoke and then they would kill them i won't go into the graphic descriptions i think it's probably not appropriate for, for this conversation um but i i want to i want to talk not about now but you know let's look to the future and this is very uh, individual so everybody has their own opinions exactly. um, i uh, i personally um i love israel but I, I i also i think i'm a big believer that this is my personal opinion of course so um that the only way in the long term for this region to survive is for people to find a way to live together and respect each other um and you know and that would require a fundamental change um from the day babies are born in this entire region because there's so much hate um and i think that would be you know we're not going to go away uh and there's a jewish state and it's going to stay and i think with the reality uh our our neighbors are also not going to go away so i think it's a bit like we need to learn how to live together but i think in the long term we need to create uh, a prosperous region I'm hopeful that one day we can we were just on the verge of signing hopefully at least based on the media uh a bigger peace agreement uh with with saudi arabia it would have changed completely the region i'm sure that's probably on hold at the moment but hopefully that will come back one day um and hopefully you know we can have um quieter conversation in a few months about this topic but um but that that's the reality and i think for us as business leaders we need to take care of our own ecosystems and you know the eco the again this is not the most urgent topic there's people's lives at the moment much more than more than startups but it's important to say this affects everybody i mean just specifically in our topic of talking about agri-food tech in one company in israel in the agri-food tech space a very known company called amai protein it's a sugar reduction company top tier company with top investors one of their head of r d was killed the mother of two in the party she was one of the party goers she's dead she was uh, she had her funeral yesterday there are um, huge amounts of uh, people in those companies that were drafted into the military. I mean, another uh, company, their CEO, annual two companies that are their CEOs are, are in the military at the moment. Um, the companies are still trying to uh, work and show business as usual as much as they can. Um, and, you know, the economy was tougher than before around the world. Um, and uh, this is another, this is going to have a huge financial impact on the entire region. Um, so I feel like us as, as people in the industry, um, we, we, we need to take care of, of those companies. I mean, uh, obviously, we can't invest in all of them, but we need to find ways to support them, to mentor them, to give from our own time and network, because um, they're going to go through tough times. It was tough already, and it's going to be tougher now. And you worked in startups, you know how tough it is. So uh, so this is this is even, even worse. But, but, you know, I think a bunch of us were talking in the Israeli ecosystem about partnering 
we've been reaching out to all our peers and actually this is a great opportunity to say we have you know the biggest example of how i know that this is so different than everything else mm -hmm. um usually in the past and i always used to work in international companies i usually would get like um a few emails some of them were kind of, kind of hey is everything okay we heard there's a rocket hope you and your family are okay some of them were genuine some of them were more kind of you know just to check the box but you know very appreciated this time i get like phone calls from people i went with to business school 15 years ago i never even heard before we have been bombarded in a positive way by so many friends from the industry by the way that's a great time to also thank people in this amazing agri-foodic industry from large companies to vcs to starts from around the world saying hey we want to help we want to support you guys we're here uh, that gives a lot of strength um and you know we're we as an ecosystem are talking you know some of the folks that are in the vcs and, and, and can, how can we continue to help this uh, it's not the most urgent topic but we still need to think about how um how do we rebuild everything we did that it continues and flourishes one this once the day after yeah uh, there's a lot of content there i one thing that keeps popping to mind though as you're speaking is this word resiliency um, and I think, you know, to me, if I look at the word Israel and ag tech, I just think about positive things. I just think yeah. about all yeah. the things we've been talking about in this podcast, right? Um, just wonderful people, smart, innovative startups. Um, and, you know, how the question that keeps popping in my mind is how do we preserve that? Because you're literally, I mean, I just want to say this again, you're literally talking about you know, people like you who have master's degrees, who are running companies, handling large sums of money. I mean, leaders and people who inspire youth, you know, inspire the global stage even are getting drafted into war. And I think, you know, and, and, and God forbid, are you know, their lives are at risk. There's, you know, you can't sugarcoat that. I, I, as much as I want to say, everyone's going to come home safely. It's all going to be fine. And you've got, like you said, CEOs of major companies getting pulled into, into war and um you know i i just i think it's um it's a huge loss for the globe uh to lose uh, if if we lose i'm not saying we're going to yeah. um you know such a important player especially for agriculture and ag tech and and kind of you know because there's you know we're not even talking about the big problems right we've right. You know, sustainability food security food safety um traceability all of the the, the big top data you know all right. the big topics we actually would talk about in a podcast like this yeah you know we're not even touching on them but but if we want to solve you know in europe some of these big things like um how do we create a more sustainable food future right Israel's pivotal in that, you know, yeah. um, and and I and I just yeah, so I just really want to highlight that that from where I sit, um, there's a lot of a lot at risk, um, and um, yeah, we can only hope that you guys will continue to to, to be resilient, um, find ways, and and you know the irony of it all is is you know events like these are probably what make you guys so great and yeah you know? it's true it's, it's unfortunately true and it's um it's very true and you know it's amazing i uh they said i i do these kind of i every day go to a different military base to bring things and you know i i actually pick it up from a neighbor of mine he basically turned his house into a distribution center and uh basically him and everybody in the neighborhood and this is true in every neighborhood in israel so this is never nothing special they basically buy supplies from their own money they basically have people in a different 
army base that says, hey, we're missing towels, uh, whatever. Usually the military has all these things. There's just so many people and everything is happening so fast. Um, and, and it's like, you know, everybody's just joining the efforts. And, and like you said, rightfully, unfortunately, it's those kind of events that shape us um, and um, and become so big. I mean, even in our, in a, by the way, and kind of always using the lens of agri-food is, as I mentioned, a lot of these kibbutzim that got hurt, um, you know, these villages you heard mostly are kibbutzim or moshavim on the border. Some of them have dairy farms. So the cows were left there. Um, they mm. cannot be milked. I mean, I, I know it sounds like it's not the most important topic, but they actually have to be milked. Yeah. And we have an agri-food tech um, WhatsApp in Israel for the all the people that are active. And actually, they were looking for volunteers to go. This is quite a dangerous area. They know how to milk a cow. Um, because to come a few times a day to milk the cows so the cows can actually properly still live because otherwise, I mean, somebody has to milk them. Even if the milk is grown, it doesn't matter. Um, and people volunteer, then it's happening. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like it's, it's not the most important thing, but there's so many topics that get affected um, on a daily basis um, that, that just become very, and of course, I'm not even going into the mental health. I mean, there's a huge topic of mental health and psychologists. My cousin is a psychologist. They all stop taking care of their normal day-to-day -day patients and move now to the more urgent patients. Um, so there's a lot of things, um, a lot of things happening in, in that lens. And also we were supposed in Israel, and I, I'm sure you know about that, Israel has a beautiful celebration once a year that almost everybody in the industry likes to come, which is what is called uh, Agri-Food Tech Week. It's every year in November. It's been going on for oh. 10 years. It probably became, I think, today, I think it's probably one of the three biggest events globally in the industry. It's a whole week. Uh, it has the big Food Tech IL conference that the Strauss Group with the Kitchen does. It has a big event of AgriVest that, that Trendlines does with Green Soil and others and hundreds of small events. That was supposed to be... Um, starting on the 6th of November, going on for a whole week, around 4,000 people, 80% of them are international. Every VC, every food company, every investor startup was planning to come into town. Of course, that was canceled immediately. Um, all these events were canceled. Um, and I think that's also part of the, um, you know, that's, these things are important for the ecosystem, right? Because that brings everybody here. We can show them everything. We can interact with them. So I think, like you said, rightfully, that puts even more pressure on us as industry leaders um, to take care for, for, for the companies, entrepreneurs, people in our industry. Um, and it's true for every industry. Everyone needs to take care of where they can help. Um, and I think we're all doing it. I mean, we're talking with our partners abroad. We're volunteering our time. We, we do need to take care, like you said, in this beautiful miracle um, and prepare it also for the day after. Because also, it's not only about this, it's about the economy. Kind of people get jobs. If have, people have jobs, and their better mental health, the economy is better. It's, it's like a cycle. And, and I, by the way, it's not only for Israel, it's for the entire region. Yeah, I was just speaking with someone uh, from Sudan who had just recently fled and, and, and also had an agricultural business. And, you know, he said something that really resonated with me. He said, you know, yeah, no one speaks about the Sudanese conflict anymore. You know, it, it's kind of out of the news and whatnot. And I guess it's kind of died down and it's calmer. But he said, it's not just a question of, is there war, yes or no? It's a question of what quality of life yes. do we have to go back to? And I think, you know, these are the questions that, yeah, you know, you, it's not at a point yet where, you know, there's, there's nothing to go back to. But that story about the dairy farm, I think it just shows to me how, you know, the Israeli people are thinking about already, we're going to get over this, but those cows still need to be alive when we get to that point because 
it's still our livelihood. It's still our, you know, it's, it's what makes Israel function. And I think, um, it's a great anecdote because, um, you know, when this does reside, you need a place to go back to schools for your yeah. children to go to. It's, it's very, very sad. I mean, it's, it's very, um, they're very, I have to say on a personal level, they've hardly ever been in my life events that I wake up in the morning and actually, uh, in the, you know, you, we always have that twilight zone of the first 30 seconds or whatever between we we're still asleep or awake yeah. before we start our day. That in the last week, every morning when I had that 30 seconds twilight zone, I actually asked myself, is that real? Or did I dream this? Um, and again, we are very fortunate. Again, my immediate family, we, we, we didn't have any casualties we have in the second circle, but still, we all, I mean, we look at the television, we see these names, we all feel like their own ch children from our own families uh, or elderly from our own families. And every family has somebody that they know, a neighbor, cousin of a friend that got impacted one way or another. And unfortunately, um, this might, you know, it's not the end yet. Um kind of pivoting a little bit and you know i i guess i'm still really curious so when things subside or yeah. or maybe before this even happened um you know what 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 are you going to go back to i mean what what are you working on at the moment what are some interesting projects i mean you just raised two rounds i think prior right yeah, so um, we made some investments go ahead i'll give you the yeah no, no for sure so first of all we're still so this is really important to say so although it's kind of completely turbulent i mean this is very important for me also to say you know for for others um everybody's still also kind of holding up the fort whoever's doing what so also international investors that have startups and company in israel they're working they're doing their best the same as the VC, we're still operating. We're all just doing other jobs in addition uh, that are not related to our own businesses connected to the situation, but people are still operating. We're still, we're still operating as a fund. We, um, as I always said, we're committed to the Israeli agri-food and European ecosystems, and we'll invest in both. Um, we have some areas that we're very excited about. Um, we actually just had um, a big competition that we were doing together with Planetech. Planetech is, is a large Israeli um, almost nonprofit that kind of supports uh, the topic of, uh, of uh, climate change solutions. And they did a global search with us for startups in the, in the space of nature-based solution and sustainable agriculture. Um, and we got almost 90 submissions where actually, as we are speaking, uh, we committed for the, for the winner of that, that will minimum invest um, $1.2 million in one of those companies, and maybe we'll work with some others. Uh, so as we are speaking, we're screening those and trying to find the one we, we, we want to, or the few that we want to move forward with. Um, so that's one space we're very excited about. And in general, we love that space of regenerative agriculture. We think it's a really interesting emerging space. Um, there's still so many things happening there. Obviously, I don't think all the business models have been f fully kind of uh, optimized, but, but, but it's, it's definitely an interesting space that we have a lot of interest in. Um, we're very interested in the topics of the world that actually where you come from, uh, the world of fintech and agriculture and food. We think it's a fascinating area. We think there are some interesting companies and you, you obviously know the space even better than me, but we think that's a really interesting space. Um, that we're going to see some more and more interesting technologies and players coming into it um, around the procurement space, uh, the fintech space, etc., cetera, uh, commodity trading, etc. cetera. Um, I personally love the space of food as medicine. Um, I'm a big believer of the lines that are blurring between food, supplements, even over-the-counter drugs. Again, depends kind of on the, on the, on the regulation. And I think in, in, is a, you know people at the end 
don't want to take medicine. They don't want to take everyday pill or powder. They actually want their food or their snacks to give them the nutrition and the health they need. Um, we're starting to see new interesting business models, both in the digital end and the food end here. Um, and we think we're going to see some more even uh, entrepreneurs and companies moving that were more in the biotech pharma space, preferring to go to a space that is less regulated and requires less R&D into more food. So that's a space we're very passionate about. So those are some of the areas we're looking at. Um, we love working with other ecosystems like we both write met at that amazing event in Germany. Uh, we love working with different uh, European ecosystems. We're very active in the German ecosystem and the Dach region. We just started building our network. Um, Gaia from our team that is in reserve, she just went to uh, to Scandinavia. So started building our kind of Scandinavian network. Uh, we love the UK and France. So we, we really like building that network, um, both from a deal flow perspective, but actually connecting between Israeli companies. And even some of our LPs, as I talked about, we have the Kibbutzim, we really want to connect them. We also have another amazing LP, which is called Haifa Group, which is a global fertilizer player out of Israel. And we try to help them find solutions. So, so those are some of it. And we're still at an early fund. We just started um, in February officially. We did our first closing in May uh, for the fund, and we're still, you know, fundraising for it, but also starting to invest. And you rightfully said we did our first investment, uh, which we're very proud about. It's a company, the Collagen Space. Thank you. It's always your first one is always the most important one. Uh, there's only one that is the first one, um, so we're very excited about that. And we're in due diligence on a few others. We'll probably do one more investment. Uh, I would have said two, uh, but I think we're moving now a bit slower, unfortunately, in the last next few weeks. But we'll do for sure uh, one more investment till the end of the year, and then next year we'll um, we'll dial it up. And uh, we're very active. We're looking at companies. We're talking, and you know, again, uh, for whoever listens for the podcast later on, if there's startups that are listening and we didn't talk with yet, you know, please reach out. We're always happy to to, to get to know you guys. I'm so happy to hear that there's still some normalcy happening and, and projects are continuing while this is all going on. I, again, I think it just speaks to the resiliency um, of the Israeli people. And, and some of the projects you're working on are just absolutely exciting. I think you mentioned something really, really interesting, which is that kind of fusion we're seeing, these cross-sectoral fusions between finance and sure tech. I mean, um, all the way over to, you know, trace it's just there's so many different crossovers happening now and i think this is one of the most thriving times i agree in this kind of um agricultural innovation um history uh and so yeah i think you you're just really highlighting that you're living proof of that um yeah it, it's it's super fascinating i so you know we do have a lot of other startups in the industry or aspiring founders also this podcast is meant to speak to um youth out there right we do want to encourage more and more people to get into agriculture um one question and i i'm kind of curious about your answer you know you're in touch with so many different parts of the food and ag space um is there a problem that you'd like to see solved that currently isn't being solved? As in, where would you like to have a startup pop up uh, that would catch your eye? Love that. I love when somebody asks me a question I'm not prepared for. So that's a good one. I like it. Nice job. Nice job. Thank you. Uh, no, no, that's a good one. I think, um, you know, I think it's an interesting one. I'm as I mentioned before, the area which I am uh, and I talk about it, this uh, it's, I mentioned it in a few forums recently. Um, I'm very interested interested in the space of food as medicine. So I just feel that there's a lot of conversation about it for probably the last two, three years. There's still hardly anything. So 
there are some companies that are kind of starting to do stuff, but I think um, I'm very keen to see some companies that are taking some of the um, maybe thinking that is used more in kind of healthcare and pharma of efficacy of, um, you know, kind of proving some of the functionality of what those kind of functional ingredients can do, maybe even having a digital component to it. Because I think what we need to be careful on, there's always a lot of snake oil, especially on the supplement side, side you know, just it's kind of deregulated. And a bit, we saw that in the big hype we had with CBD a few years ago. People felt they're going to take a CBD pill or something and they're going to have wings, um, which didn't happen. It only happens when you drink a Red Bull. Um, and, um, you know, I think I... Is, is a space i would like to see that moving the needle i would like to see some solutions that are more with more efficacy that have kind of more stringent r d um maybe taking not going all the way to farm because that's not the idea but actually building some real businesses that you know consumers can actually trust uh and, and feel like you know what this can be something that can actually really fit my and have a real impact on me with benefit X or Y, et cetera, and have that validated. So that's a space I'm, I'm actively looking. So if anybody listens to or is trying to work on, um, please call me. We'll love to brainstorm with you. We're very, very interested in that space. Awesome. No, you're giving me ideas because I actually just had a, a podcast um, about, you know, consumers changing their very intrinsic, you know, generational desire to buy cheap food, right? right? Like it's a consumer behavior. Yeah. And I think the question has to be, how do we remarket something we all take for granted, right? How do we rebrand right. food? Yeah. And I think what you're saying, and maybe uh, this, yeah, this all kind of goes hand in hand, plays into that problem potentially. Yeah. So I agree. There's something there. Uh, maybe we'll have to have another episode or, or offline conversation. That's, that's that. episode after we have a piece in the Middle East. That's gonna yeah. be <laughs> exactly. That's the plan. Um, so yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. And and again, I would love to. We'll we'll have to do another podcast where we really unpack more about how you invest and what you're looking for and strategies you have out there and um, you know what projects you're working on more specifically. But for now. Um, I'd like to just take the last couple minutes to um, give any last shout outs, but also um, share with the listeners how they can help support the conflict in Israel and maybe also how they can support specifically agri-tech or agricultural communities. I mean, um, what you described with the rural Israeli communities, they're being hit the hardest and these yeah. communities are, you know, they're the ones creating the food, feeding the world. And, um, you know, how, how, can, how can listeners help? No, absolutely. No, thank you. So, I mean, first of all, I think it's a great time to actually, first of all, say thank you. I think, and I'm, I'm saying this not only in my personal name, but I'm actually saying it. And I, I've spoken with so many uh, friends in the industry and outside of the industry. Um, there's been amazing, just um, so many friends in the industry have been calling and taking care of the entrepreneurs or VCs or their business partners. I think we're all grateful for that. And it does mean a lot, even just getting a quick WhatsApp or short email, checking your fine really is very meaningful. So that I, one, it's a great opportunity to say a big thank you. I think, you know, um, and I actually just recently uh, wrote a, a short um, LinkedIn post about it. I think I think there's a few things that people can do to, to assist in general in, in this uh, situation. Um, you know, the first one is um, to, you know, there's a lot of need for, for funding for, for some of these displaced families, for some of these families that lost their loved ones, uh, for local communities. Um, there are different nonprofits that raise money. My only caution would be 
make sure to validate that they're unfortunately even in times of, of terrible times like now there are some people that are doing some stuff to, to get money they shouldn't so i think just make sure it's a credible organization um, i put in my linkedin post a link that has a lot of other links of, of credible organizations so i think that's one or it could be also healthcare related there's a bunch of them so each person can find uh, there are ones that are saving animals that were left alone in those areas so there's everything you can think of that's really i think that's a great way to, to help that's one I think the second one is show continue to show love to your friends, family, colleagues you have in that region. Call them, show them you care about them. I think that means a lot for people. I um, I would I would mention and then specifically for our little universe of agri food tech, um, I would really encourage uh, the the companies on the lot that are listening to this or the VCs. Uh, obviously, no expectations for you guys. So you can't invest in every, everybody. I am also an investor. We need to be very selective. But, um, you know, give an arm, you know, uh, give a call to those startups, help them uh, open your network, open your your heart, tell them where, you know, give each one of them a pro bono half an hour call. Um, people need help and it's a good time to, you know, to show that kind of, uh, you know, that goodwill at this stage. Amazing. No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that and we'll be sure also to tag you in any posts and links and, and, and um, make sure that people can get in touch with you. Uh, I know you're a great source to kind of start spreading also and, and showing the right way to help. Um, like you said, you have posted some things on LinkedIn, the best places to, to, to help um, uh, fund. Any final words, Gil, before we conclude? No, I think this has been amazing. Super enjoyed it. Obviously, I would have been happy to have this in happier circumstances, but I'm, I'm grateful for you for giving this platform. And, um, you know, I think it's... Uh, I think, you know, like everything in life, unfortunately, only in, in tough times, we, we know how to appreciate uh, the good things we have. And again, I just I, I know I said this before, but, it, you know, I, I'm a big believer of this. We really have an amazing ecosystem in this industry. I don't think all of the other industries have that. Uh, people know how to help each other. It's, uh, it's, it's a place that people know how to collaborate, even if they're uh, in, the, in competing places that they do a lot of competition uh, and know how to work together. Um, and you know, this is a great place to also celebrate that. And I think that's something we all as uh, industry players should also keep that and maintain that because that's what makes this industry so special. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much for joining today, Gil. All Thank the best. You for having me. Yeah, no, and honestly, I'm just so glad that we, we can support and, um, yeah, all the best to you and your family. I mean, these much. are hard times waking up with that sense of fear. Um, I, yeah, I can't imagine it. So again, our, you know, my heart goes out to you guys and, and hopefully we'll, we'll have this conversation again over a beer in Germany. That would, that be, would nice. be amazing. We'd <laughs> love it. Or, or a hummus plate in Tel Aviv. Would love that. <laughs> love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Tridge, the leading global intelligence and networking platform for agriculture. Visit us at www.tridge.com to find out more.